This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 63, Hercules. Gotta know your clouds. Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. We're your hosts, Morgan Stradling and Chelsea Robson. Hello, hello, hello. Ooh, bing, bada, boom, boom, boom. Love the dress. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who are new to the show, we are the Rotoscopers. We are animation addicts just like you, and this is the Animation Addicts podcast where we talk about animated movies, past or present. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about the 1997 Disney classic, by some, <laughs> Hercules. Which Yay! I am so excited about. Oh my gosh. Hercules is one of those movies that I would watch all the time, and I just always have a great time watching this movie. I think it's very underappreciated, uh, which we'll go into the reasons why we think it is that way, but yeah, so each episode we pick a new movie, and today we've picked Hercules. We have another co-host named Mason, and Mason normally is on every single episode, but he had something come up, and he was unable to be on this episode. And he will be missed because I know Mason, I mean, he's the king of all quotes. He loves doing impersonations and doing different voices from Disney characters, but Hercules has never really been one of his favorites. He hasn't seen it that much, he doesn't know many of the quotes, so I kind of was interested to see his take. You know, I, I like when there's different perceptions like maybe people who've never seen the movie before people who saw it once uh so i was really excited for that but no mason today unfortunately mason can't be here today he's had a tragedy in his family and so he does ask for all of our listeners prayers and good thoughts his way because it's a tough time for them um so so please keep him in mind i know how sad he is about not being here today it's true so this is a perfect time that we are doing this episode on Hercules because it was just revealed just yesterday that Hercules is getting a Blu-ray release, which is awesome because Hercules, I mean, I will definitely own that one on Blu-ray. Um, Hercules, for the most part, has been sort of ignored by the Disney company. Its other DVD release was, was nothing special you know, very little bonus features. Most likely this will be the same case for the Blu-ray. It was announced at the same time as Tarzan, and Tarzan is getting a special edition, and Tarzan is no edition. It's just a Blu-ray. So I think that's indicative of what's going to be happening. So there was no release date on this Blu-ray, but most likely it's probably going to be in June or summer of this year. So if you want to buy the Hercules Blu-ray or pre-order it, make sure to go to rotoscopers.com slash Hercules Blu-ray or go to the show notes for this episode, rotoscopers.com slash 63, to get all that information. Okay, on to our main event. I am so excited to talk about this movie, Disney's Hercules. If there's a prize for rotten judgment, I guess I've already won that. 
No man is worth the aggravation That's ancient history Been there, done that Yay, Hercules! Woohoo! All right, let's go start out with some general info. The release date was July 27th, 1997, and that it was budgeted for $85 million. And the box office brought in $252 million. Not too shabby. Not at all. And it's actually kind of interesting because the film made almost zero money in Greece, which this is a Greek-based mythology. You think, oh, it would do great. You know, we're celebrating your culture or, you know, our, our take on it. No, no, no. They hated this movie. Critics panned it. Basically, no one went to see it. Um, they thought that it took too many liberties with their culture. I mean, I understand. This is a movie. This is a story. And so people and filmmakers everywhere, they tell stories that they want to tell. And many times it includes people's culture or their mythology or their background. And, you know, they do what they want with it. So can you go too far? Well, you know... I can understand the fact that these are so well known, especially to the, you know, to the Greeks, you know, they're kind of wanting, they're wanting their culture to be portrayed correctly, which I can understand. But at the same time, I I really enjoyed how they made it. And yes, they're not the same, but I'm still okay with that. And we as Americans are totally fine with mixing cultures with fact and fiction. (laughs) So, hey, just go with it. So moving on to the voice actors and animators, I'm just going to highlight a few of the the main people. One thing that stands out to me on this film is that it's not plagued with a lot of A-list celebrities or, you know, well-known voice actors, which I like for the most part. I like that Hercules, I have no idea who Tate Donovan is. Um, and maybe people are like, oh my gosh, you don't know who Tate Donovan is? And they're getting mad at me right now. But like, I really have no idea who he is. And I appreciated that. <laughs> this was his very first job as a voice actor. Well, yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, I, I enjoyed the days when Disney and a lot of these animated films didn't have to rely on the celebrities. And maybe it just goes to show like how movie culture has changed over the past two decades. But um, to me, it's not about the voice actor it, well it is about the voice actor i just want the best person to do the job like it doesn't have to be someone recognizable to me it's almost better when they're not totally recognizable otherwise you have the matthew broderick effect and you can't <laughs> unhear matthew broderick exactly. as Simba. exactly <laughs> so actually interesting hercules was animated or his supervising animator was Andreas Deja, who you may know as being, he sort of got typecasted for a while as the Disney villain guy. He did Scar, he did Gaston, uh, Jafar, you know, he did a lot of, uh, and King Triton, which isn't a bad guy. And, and so they immediately for this movie said, hey, do you want to do Hades? And he said, well, no, I want to do Hercules. Like, And I I really appreciated the fact that he Mm -hmm. asked to do something different because he said, this is something I need for to to grow as an artist and to develop um, and to have in like my portfolio is to say that I'm not just this one sided guy. And it was really great because it was able to challenge him in ways that you're typically your typical Disney villain. I mean, he had it down pat at this point. So it was nice to see a different perspective on Hercules through Andreas Deja, and then same time to allow someone else to take the Disney villain role. 
So Hades was voiced by James Wood, and Nick Ranieri was the supervising animator, which was really cool. And so Hades was sort of this Hollywood agent, used car salesman type guy. I mean, just really, really quick-witted. Initially, he was going to be more like a smooth talker, slow. But then when James Woods came in to do his performance, he kind of put this completely different angle on it that worked, and they loved it. And so he ended up ad-libbing a lot of the lines. Um, Other notables, I I would say this is probably the most notable, is Danny DeVito. (laughs) Woohoo, Danny! As so, Phil Octetes and Phil. This was the, probably the one that was capitalized on the most. Just because he is Danny DeVito. Yes, yes. Like, you can't unhear Danny DeVito. And for him, it works, you know? Because um, Phil was just such a great animal. And, <laughs> and I loved how they, they portrayed him. They kind of took a little bit of Grumpy from Snow White, and a little bit of Bacchus from Fantasia as kind of the inspirations for this character. And Eric Goldberg, who is a character in himself, I love this guy. He is the one that actually did all the animation for Phil. Mm-hmm. And he did such a great job. This is such a great character. I love Eric. Eric did the genie in Aladdin. And Eric actually still works at Walt Disney Animation Studios. And Good. I saw him at the D23 Expo this past year. Um, he was doing kind of a demonstration about turning... It was for Get a Horse about how they turn these 2D characters into 3D characters. If you haven't seen Get a Horse you have to you'll be able to see it on the frozen blu-ray um and then you can watch it anytime but yeah so he was giving a demonstration and and he's definitely become a legend in his own right and so i i love love eric goldberg so did a great job with the phil man a few other notables susan egan as megara uh susan actually um debuted the part of bell on broadway so she kind yeah, of she is, she is sort of a Disney princess in two ways. Um, and we'll talk about Megara and whether she's a princess or not, or should be counted as a princess. Well, I'll just say it right now, because in the mythos, in the Hercules mythology, she was a princess and the daughter of the King of Thebes. So I'm not quite sure why Disney just got rid of the whole princess thing since they loved princesses. This was before the Disney princess line became so big. but So maybe they were like, oh, we've done so many princesses. Everyone's a princess. So they maybe wanted to get rid of it. But now it seems like a missed opportunity because uh, totally, she is so different than so many of the other princesses. It's just like, it's you, refreshing. They're, they're always asking for like, you know, really strong female characters. And she's one of them. But it's weird because they ignore her. She's not a part of the Disney princess lineup. And... Yeah, they they stripped her princess title from her, which was rightfully hers. So she ties her own sandals and everything. Mm-hmm. No, she's so good, and that's I think that's really interesting because later on, as I'm like as I'm watching this movie, all I can think is like her backstory because they give enough of her backstory to kind of understand her reasonings knowing why she does what she does and why she's going against hercules and such and how she's not a really bad person but i'd still like to know more because they really could have gone deeper in as far as like you were the daughter of the king and now you're now with me but that might be really difficult to um, portray and people would probably miss her so right now she's kind of not missed that makes sense yeah yeah so i don't know it would have caused some holes in the in the storyline of this but because right now i really don't there aren't that many holes they do a really good job with storytelling on this movie Mm -hmm. um but yeah 
Okay, so, so the, the last person that I'll mention is... I gotta mention Jim Cummings whenever Jim Cummings makes an appearance. He was Nessus, the River Guardian. So... <laughs> <laughs> Nessus, put me down! <laughs> okay, so that's just a little bit about the main characters, who voiced them, uh, our initial thoughts on these characters. So what are your first thoughts about this movie, or your first recollections? Awesome. <laughs> Oh, I just, there's so many good things about this movie. It, for me, it just has perfect replay value. I can, and the music, oh my gosh, the music is just amazing. One of those movies that I could really just fast forward to just the music, and it's great. I had the soundtrack, and I listened to it all the time. It's fantastic. I hope the Disney Blu-ray has the, the Disney sing-along version where you can just watch the songs. <laughs> I hope so, This too. is a movie where you just want to watch the songs. So yes. good. So I've always loved this movie. I agree with Chelsea. Like, so much replay value. I can watch it right after watching it. Um, and so funny story about this. Back in the day, to go to advanced screenings for movies, you had to, like, write in a postcard <laughs> and like submit it to the station and then they'd randomly pick one and so I, I remember that I submitted one I, I think you found them in the newspaper um, it's like oh you know submit for this drawing and you can win tickets to advanced screening so I won tickets to see an advanced screening of the re-release of Return of the Jedi back in 1997 Ooh. oh yeah and I was like the line was around the corner and down the street, and I went with my sister, and I thought I was so cool because I was 11 at this time, okay? Or turning 11, I was, I was still 10. And so my cousins were in town, like, the week Hercules came out, and I did the same thing for Hercules because I could win a pack of four tickets. And I told my cousins, and I was like, don't worry, guys. I got this. We're going to see Hercules. <laughs> I got this. I'm going to win tickets. Well, we didn't win tickets. I, you know, lightning doesn't strike twice unless you're Zeus. And so obviously I didn't win again. And so I remember it was our tradition to always see the new Disney movies the Saturday after they came out because my dad worked Fridays. So we saw them on Saturday. Just really funny how I always remember that. I remember walking into the theater on that Saturday um, and it's at a theater called United Artists, which is closed down now. And looking at that big Hercules sign and thinking this is going to be great. So I don't remember seeing this in theaters. Really? I mean, I don't remember like the day I went to go see this movie, mm -hmm. but I, I just, I remember loving every bit of it. So I don't know why I don't. I forgive you. Okay. So the songs, I think we need to jump right to all of these songs and maybe we'll talk about them as they come when we're doing our discussion, but the music in this stands out above and beyond um, your normal Disney. I, I just, there's something different about it. I mean, so Alan Menken, which we've seen lots of Alan Menken up at this oh, point. Yeah. I mean, he was the Disney guy. Mm -hmm. And um, the lyricist was David Zippel. But they just did something completely different and quirky, um, very gospel-oriented for, you know, obviously the Greek chorus. And it, it just stands out to me as one of probably the most replayable Disney albums. I totally agree. And the lyrics are undeniably good. They just have a lot of little tongue twisters and puns and just playing on words. So, so talented. And there's a lot of songs in here. Total of 10 songs that have lyrics. Of course, three of those, of course, are the gospel truth. There's the gospel truth, gospel truth two, gospel truth three, um, which I think is really cool at the beginning that you have just these little short songs that are singing 
you know, the the main plot. So, so as we mentioned before, this is based on the Greek slash Roman mythology of Hercules, um, who actually was a demigod, and meaning that he was half human, half god. But with Hercules, <laughs> it's very morbid. There is a lot going on here that is maybe not for children. It's not appropriate. Um, and so for that reason, I understand why Disney had to make some major revisions to the Greek history or the Greek, Greek myths and kind of put their own spin on it. I mean, that's what Disney does to anybody's story, whether it's Han Christian Andersen or the Grimm's brothers, whatever. I mean, they are going to put the Disney spin on it. And Hercules definitely needed it because there was, it was pretty gruesome. Yeah, for sure. I love Greek mythology. It was probably the favorite subject that I studied in high school in English. I remember reading Edith Hamilton's Mythology, which you can get on audible.com by going to rotoscopers.com slash audible. Um, she is a book from, you know, early, early 20th century where she compiled all of these, these Greek myths in one place. And so um, that's definitely a great resource if you want to read the real myths in the way that they are intended. And then you can see the differences. But so for the most part, Disney did a good job of sticking to the main, kind of the main heart of Hercules. There are um, bits and pieces of his myth that are in there. Obviously a lot has changed, but I mean, what, what happens is Hercules at this point is such a phenomenal, well-known character, especially in American Western society. Uh, I mean, there's Xena and Hercules, the TV show. And I mean, <laughs> so many versions of Hercules that I think in a way Hercules has become westernized and so um you know because it's really cool he's half mortal he's half god um and so I think for that reason they, they just wanted to play off that again one thing that I love is that if you had read Greek mythology you catch the references when they're there um, so we're not going to go and say like, oh, on this scene, this is a Greek reference to this. And I mean, it, it, we would this podcast would be four hours long because they do a great job about, OK, yes, we realize we changed the Greek myth. But for those Greek myth historians or lovers, we're going to put enough in here to make you guys happy. So you can laugh at the jokes when no one else is laughing at it because they don't get it. <laughs> but here, right. we're, gonna, we're just going to mention a few diff a few key things that's important to know. So the first thing is Hera isn't actually Hercules' mom. Um, they try to make it seem like, oh, Hercules has this big, happy family and his mom loves him, when in reality, Hera hated Hercules. Zeus was actually Hercules' father, but like we said, Hercules was a demigod, so originally he was half-mortal. So what happened was um, Zeus, he's a playboy and has a lot of demigod children, uh, this is kind of why Percy Jackson is so popular, because it's all about the children of the gods who are demigods. <laughs> so he disguised himself as Amphitryon, who actually in the movie is Hercules's, you know, mortal stepdad that he they find him, and then goes to Hercules's uh, real mother in the myth, Alcmene, and um, you know, then a baby's born. <laughs> So Hercules obviously is is half mortal that as a easy, result. Huh? Yeah, yes. I'm. This is a clean podcast. Um, use your imagination. Don't use your imagination, guys. Don't, don't, don't. Don't use your imagination. Just, don't go there. A baby was born. Okay. So yeah, and as a result, Hera found. I mean, I would be mad. Okay. So Hera is furious with Zeus for doing this because he does this all the time, and I'm sure they've had conversations about this and about being faithful, but no. No, no, not for Zeus. Anyway, so as a result, 
she's furious. She swears vengeance on Hercules and throughout all these myths tries to hurt Hercules in any way, shape, or form, <laughs> which she does. In the movie, these two folks uh, just adopt him. <laughs> they find him on the ground and they adopt him. So that's pretty interesting. So interesting thing about uh, Hera I mean, in the Greek myth, Hera actually makes Hercules go into this, like, rage and stupor where he doesn't understand what's going on. And in this fit of rage, he kills his six children and his wife, who happens to be Megara, the princess. So that's not cool, but that's what happened. And then also we have the fates. They did their own little thing with the fates as well. The fates in the original do not share an eye. They are just three fates but there were three women who were called the great ladies basically who helped perseus find medusa and they're the ones who shared an eye so that's one other thing that they just kind of put together yeah they and then, sort of co combine those two versions <laughs> right and then speaking of medusa pegasus was actually created from the blood of medusa not the clouds as <laughs> was seen in the film oh come on that would have been so awesome i know <laughs> It's like, a baby Hercules, I have a present for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then Zeus did not bestow the underworld on Hades, but instead the two of them, along with Poseidon, drew lots for who got the underworld, and Hades was the one that got it. Yeah, and so then the other two drew, you know, Lord of the Skies, the other one Lord of the Water. Anyways, there is a big, long list of differences between the movie and the Greek mythology, and I will include a link to those in the show notes. So you, I mean, not all of them, but some of them. And, and you can read and read them there. But this is an important thing that we talk about the 12 labors of Hercules. This is kind of the main thing that Hercules is known for. So after Hercules ends up killing his wife and children, he, he feels very remorseful, which is a great thing. Shows a lot about his character, feels bad about this. Um, and so he says, I need to make atonement for this horrible thing that I've done. And so he goes, and there's a king and who says, okay, well, you can be my servant and do this for me. And so he ends up initially having to do 10 um, sort of labors or quests, and, and he, he completes those. And so then there become two more after that, and so these are known as the 12 labors of Hercules. And many of these are in the – they are referenced in the film at one point or another – the first labor that he was supposed to do was slay the Nemean lion, which is actually portrayed on the first vase when you meet the muses. You've mm -hmm. got a picture of him with a lion. So there's that one. You have the slay the nine-headed hydra, capture the golden hind of Artemis. He had to capture the Aramanthian boar, which that one is portrayed. Mm -hmm. Clean the Aegean stables for a sing in a single day, which, <laughs> you know what? That's going to be hard. I, I know how that feels. So I'm sorry, Hercules. <laughs> so Phil mentions this when Hercules is standing there and posing for the painter, but that's about it. But basically, this was an impossible task, which I think this is one of the funniest of right. the Greek myths. So definitely go check it out because it's a funny one. But yep. Needed to slay the Symphalian birds, capture the Cretan bull, and he had to steal the mares of Diomedes. So a lot, bunch of, bunch of forces. So the, the bird one is in the Zero to Hero uh -huh. sequence, um, which is pretty funny. Mm -hmm. So he had to obtain the girdle of the Queen of the Amazons. That one's mentioned in there. You yeah. got to get a girdle from, <laughs> from Amazon. <laughs> and then obtain the cattle of the monster of Giron and steal the apples of Hesperides and capture and bring back Cerberus. 
So these are the 12 different labors. And as we talked about, a lot of these can be found throughout. Most of it is through Zero to Hero. Uh-huh. Cerberus is the dog, the three-headed dog, which... Um, Daya. I mean, he doesn't go and, like, bring him back, but we see him and we see Hercules, like, kind of putting right. them on a leash. <laughs> mm-hmm. So th- these are referenced in some way, shape, or form. It would have been cool if in some way, shape, or form they could have got all 12, but, you know, they did their best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Phew! I feel like I feel like this is an episode in and of itself, but... Yeah. <laughs> the Hercules lovers love this, okay? So now let's talk about the movie. Um, can we start off with the muses? Oh, my goodness. I love the use of the muses. And the pacing. Oh! That shot up from the mountaintops. No, that's the beginning. That's, that's the end. Oh, <laughs> uh, how does it go? You go, girl. We are the muses. Goddesses of the arts and proclaimers of heroes. Heroes like Hercules. Honey, you mean Hercules. I'd like to make some sweet music. Our story actually begins long before Hercules. Many eons ago. Back when the world was So, you know, I love it. So the very beginning, it's this very, you know, monotone, serious narrator <laughs> talking, you know, they're in this hall of of vases and vases, depending on which muse you are. <laughs> and, um, you know, he's very boring. And it actually is Charlton Heston, who was in Ben-Hur. This was and, his very last credit. Yes. And it was a fun little cameo for him because he was so instrumental in that movie, which is set in the same time period. And it's just a fun cameo. Yeah, I love this opening sequence. It was actually the Spice Girls were in talks to. Oh no, to see no, the no, no! I know. I thank goodness that no. they did not pick them because, oh no, 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 not good. <laughs> so what I love about this this beginning part is that there's three different versions of the gospel truth, which we hear. Which are yeah. really cool and and very short, less than a minute at times, and and sung within the very beginning, and it's great. They do a really good job at tying all of these in together, too. So it progresses the story really quickly. So that's one of the great things about this movie is there are no dead spots. Mm -hmm. There's really no moment where I'm like, yeah, it got a little slow right there. No, there every time it gets to the point where it needs to just progress the story, throw in the muses, do it. (laughs) And you can't wait till the muses come back in. Every song that the muses are in, you want to listen to. Yeah. The muses were a great touch because it definitely took a different spin on your 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 Greek chorus, which was seen in many, you know, theater at the time. Um, and they just put a different spin on it, making it a gospel chorus. And it, it fits. I like it. They modernized it enough with, you know, the gospel element and then, you know, played back to its roots. So it's awesome. So, OK, so the very beginning, we start off and a baby is born. And it's Hercules, and there's this big party, and all the gods are on Mount Olympus, and they're celebrating, which is so fun. <laughs> and <laughs> Who doesn't I, love a birthday party? No, totally. And I really like the look of the gods here because they're super saturated in their colors, um, very bright. Like, I think of orange kind of typifies the skin color, uh, lots of pinks, and, and just really saturated colors. And they Vibrant. have this otherworldly glow to them. Which mm-hmm. makes them stand out. And you definitely see the difference when it's Hercules standing directly next to his father, Zeus. When we're in these scenes, we're in Mount Olympus. It really makes me miss the color palette that they used. That we couldn't have had that for the whole movie. Because it's so fun, and I love it. 
So then uh, we are introduced to Hermes, and obviously Hera and Zeus and babies uh, Hercules. And, and okay, so this is one of those lines that maybe you would not understand unless you, <laughs> you knew about Greek mythology. But basically what it was is he, he brings flowers to Hera and says, she says, oh, they're lovely. And he says, I had Orpheus do the arrangement. Isn't that too nutty? And you people wouldn't get it. Uh, except for it's kind of like a, a spin on the word arrangement because Orpheus uh, was known as the father of songs, and so he would make arrangements of music. And so they're playing on the word arrangement, so he's he's a king of arrangements, but this time it's floral. It, it's definitely a stretch, and it requires a lot of thinking, but there, these little jokes are in there throughout. Yeah. Well, what's really funny about that is the voice of Hermes is none other than Paul Schaefer, who is the leader of the CBS Orchestra. Yeah. So in essence himself, it's just, yeah, it's great. <laughs> and so, okay. And I, I love this part where Zeus is like, on behalf of my son, I want to thank you all for your wonderful gifts. And then it pans over and there's like a rainbow. <laughs> there's just all sorts of crazy things that are, have been bestowed to the baby pretty funny <laughs> and then uh, zeus gives his gift which is pegasus you know this is another moment where you have to you know know your know your science because he starts throwing off all these different words of of clouds and yes a little cirrus a touch of nimbostratus and a das of cumulus <laughs> and crazy. gotta know your clouds gotta know your clouds that might be our title <laughs> And then, of course, we have the introduction to the magical man of mystery, Hades. He did such a great job with this character. It's just so different from any of the villains that we've seen so far. Yeah, he's he's fast talking. I think he has some of the best quotes. I mean, first off, this movie, every line, this is like Robin Hood, Calipers, yes, where every line is quotable. And I could probably quote this movie start to finish, and uh, yeah, it would be great. But, <laughs> you know... But it, but at the same time, there's still quotes in there that after you've watched it, even now you watch, you're like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny bullseye. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love the one. It's like, you know, I haven't been this choked up since I got a hunk of Osaka cut in my throat. Eh. <laughs> that's like my favorite part where he like makes that face after saying eh. And he's like looking <laughs> at everybody and they're not responding. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. So... <laughs> So, yeah, so her, of course, Hades, he's kind of like the big bad wolf. He's just really mad and upset, and he's here at the party making an appearance for a short while because would you so gracefully just bestowed on me Zeus, which, you know, really they drew lots and he just drew that. But, I mean, this is one thing I don't understand, and maybe I need to look into the Greek mythology a bit more, is, I mean, all these other Greek gods, I mean, Poseidon's there chilling, has no problem. It's not like Poseidon has to stay in the water. I feel like with Mount Olympus, this was like a place where they could all go freely. And so in it just seems that he's like foreverly punished to live there. Well, you know, he just hates his job. <laughs> he can go up to Mount Olympus anytime he wants, but it's, you know, the fact that he has to go back and do his job, like, oh, great. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, obviously we're setting it up that her Hades is mad. He's going to be a bad guy. He goes down, and we meet Pain and Panic, his buffoon sidekicks who are hilarious, and they, they balance him out. He's funny. I don't really know if he needed these, like, goofy sidekicks because he's funny in himself. 
Yeah, but I still liked them because they were the little henchmen. He, they had to, they had a, a job to do, yeah. and they added a lot of humor in there. You know, it's like if, if he finds out, ooh, if it's good, if it's good, mm-hmm. and those are funny things. Like, and also they needed somebody to blame for the fact that, you know, he didn't drink all of the potion. You know, yeah. If if Hades was blaming himself, I, mean, I don't know how, <laughs> how good that would have been. Right. They they have great banter. Just tell me the instant the fates arrive. Oh, oh. they're here! What? The fates are here? You didn't tell me? We oh. are worms! Worthless worms! Memo Mame. to me. <laughs> Mame you after my meeting. And I always thought that was said, name you after my meeting, not maim. <laughs> didn't quite know what maiming was. Yeah, I like the look that they exchange right after that. They're like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> this has happened before. <laughs> Man, those guys, they have really great lines. And was the, okay, so when they go and they, you know, we'll turn the little sunspot mortal. Okay, so we're rewinding. Hades finds out that Hercules is going to ruin all of his plans, that Hades might have the chance to become world dominator, Except, just maybe, if Hercules gets in your way, it's not going to be a good thing. So, he's like, oh crap, we gotta get rid of Hercules. But he's a god, so how do we get rid of him? And so he is very smart and has this potion, which apparently makes you mortal. It's um, just chilling there. Yeah, just, you know, it's awesome. I love it, the bubbles or skulls and, <laughs> and all that. So, right. Pain and Paddock fly up to Mount Olympus. Not sure how they're allowed to get in, even that they're not really, you know god themselves they're just little minions and they steal the baby give him the formula so this is actually something that happened in the hercules myth was when he was a baby hera obviously was super angry she sent these two snakes after him and he basically killed the snakes right on the spot and so this is they turn into snakes and they're gonna kill him and (laughs) you know and he destroys them and flings them away which is so awesome he's just bestowing his power and then of course his you know step parents walk in and see all this and are like whoa that snail is fast (laughs) totally and the fact that they go into this this old couple they're like oh haven't we been praying to the gods for this (laughs) yeah honey that's just really not how it worked out but hey go with it in the movie or in the oh yeah yeah it's like come on zeus isn't listening to you (laughs) yeah right (laughs) nice try this was an accident this was maybe a freebie but Right. You know, <laughs> and it stinks because it, then they say we go into another gospel truth. The young Herc was mortal now. <laughs> and so it's sad because like it says in the in the lyrics that they Zeus and Hera can't do anything about it. Right. And I'm like, why? Why it's like now suddenly because of this accident he can never come back unless he proves himself, which we'll discover later, but like, why not? You're Zeus. Can he live up there with you, even though he's not? I guess you can't. I guess that's the thing, is that only gods can live up there. Yeah. But I felt like Zeus could have made his presence known in, in you know, Hercules' life earlier. <laughs> well, yeah, but then again, you know, a lot of times we don't, looking at it from my world perspective of being a religious person— I don't believe that God really shows up in your life until you look for him. Yeah. 
So in this way, it happens that same way. Like he, he looks around himself and as he's growing up, he realizes, you know, there's something deeper inside of me and there's something more than what I've become. Um, (laughs) And so it's that point in time where, you know, the parents, it's their job to say, you know what? No, yeah, you do have a lot more inside of you than what, you know, other people see or even what you see. So you, in order to find out, you've got to go to the temple of the gods and you've got to figure out what it is that you're meant to be here for. So, you know, Hercules grows up and I love the teenage Hercules so much. Everything about him, he's just nerdy. He's not confident. Even though he's half God, he doesn't know it. He's just hasn't grown into himself. There's something about him that's different from everyone else that sets him apart. And this is actually something really good. He's half God. No one else has that, but he's ridiculed for who he is. You know, he's a bit of a klutz. Nice catch, Jerkules. <laughs> and then, um, you know, like during he destroys the forum, and which is a, a reference to how you know we found the forum where it was already toppled over, and they like to say, "Well, this is actually how it happened. Hercules was here, <laughs> right?" <laughs> um, and so, you know, after this whole, you know shebang where everything goes horribly wrong uh, which there is a uh, cameo of the directors john musker and ron clemens so when hercules at the very beginning is rushing into the town with penelope and he's holding the the little cart with the hay the two men that are working on on that top little entrance thing they're carrying stones and then they fall off after he rushes through. Um, those are the directors. So they also made a cameo in Aladdin. So it's, it's their thing to make, make cameos. Pretty cool. So then he's, he's talking to his dad and he's like, I just feel like I'm not a, I don't belong here. And this is when the dad realizes, okay, I got to show you something. There's, there's more to the story. Cue, go the distance. <laughs> <laughs> and I love this song. It's so good like the lyrics work perfectly for hercules situation but perfectly they i love this song on a spiritual level for me yeah for sure i have often dreamed of a far off place where great warm welcome will be waiting for me it's warm and it's also captivating like you just no matter what your your spiritual beliefs are most people do feel that they are better. There are better things waiting for them than what is around them. And that's the only thing that really gives you hope to move on, to make different choices and to make leaps and bounds and to even have that courage to, you know, take risks too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I love the imagery in this. I love, I love how it's broken up um, by him actually meeting Zeus yeah, which cool. is cool. I mean, when you listen to the song, they cut that out, but he meets Zeus, and that is a revel- revelatory instance where the statue of Zeus comes to life and starts talking. And, Father, <laughs> and then he's reunited <laughs> with Pegasus, which is fun, and and the way they recognize each other is through the head conch. <laughs> it's like, oh, Pegasus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's. And then he flies into the sunset, and he goes to meet the trainer of heroes. I love how Zeus says it, like, with such a, like, no reaction on his voice. He's just like, you must go to Philoctetes, the trainer of heroes. I feel like Zeus and Phil maybe have some bad situation between them, because he doesn't seem impressed (laughs) with Phil. (laughs) 
So now we go to the island where Phil resides, and uh, Phil actually was in the original myth was more of Hercules's protege who went off and he was human. He wasn't um, a satyr at all. He he was human. And after Hercules becomes a god, um, you know, he goes off and, and does these things. Uh, in this case, he's a satyr and he's the trainer of heroes. And he's just this bullish little man who's bitter at the world, has had a string of unsuccessful people that he's trained, which is unfortunate. But uh, yeah, He's he's great. I love him. He's he's kind of like a disgusting old man in the, <laughs> in the fact that he's sitting watching the nymphs in the bush, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. like peeping Tom gross. By the um, way, sweet cheeks. I'm yeah. real too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he makes weird comments like that where you're like, ew. I've met guys like you. Like old guys, yeah, and it's yeah. not cool. <laughs> it's not cool, not cool at all. But I love his song. Oh, you mean the "Let's Get Through Puberty as Quickly as Possible" song? Yes, that one. <laughs> also known as "One Last Hope." I love the lyrics, and this is another one of those songs where the plot goes through the middle of this. There's a big section where the dialogue, you know, rule number fifty-eight. And you're, that's not on the CD when you listen to it, but oh yeah, that's not. So and, and I love the instrumentals. Like I this time around, as I was watching the movie, I was listening more to the background instrumentals because he uses really cool like guitars, and it, just this whole soundtrack has just a different feel to it. It's not a hundred percent gospel, but it kind it's just it's funny because the movie is set eons ago, right? It's not traditional Disney, and yet. The score and the music choice is very modern. It is really cool how they throw in the electric guitars and the brass band, and they do a really good melding of the two. And you've got a, a nice little effect of adding the organ in there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, good, it's good stuff. Yeah, I love this song. And they end with Hercules grown up, and he's doing everything right. He saves the damsel in distress. He takes his sword, switches it to a boomerang, knocks all the heads off of these guys, and ta-da! Everything, he's perfect. He's had so much training, he is ready to go. And he gives that impression, like, let's go! Let's get out of here! Let's go to the real world! And and that's something that I believe is true. Like, you can train and train and train. Um, yeah, and you can master the practice round. But it's when you really get out to the real world where you really uh, see what you're made of. And... Very quickly, once he gets a Thebes, he realizes, wow, I might not be cut out for this at the beginning. So, so before he gets to Thebes, they see... Look, the big all of itself. I <laughs> love Thebes so much. So what I love about this movie before we get to Thebes is, okay, so this kind of, I think Aladdin set the stage for Hercules. Because uh-huh. Hercules is very modern um, uses a lot of self-referential dialogue. I mean, you know, when you see Pain and Panic in the forest, they're like, uh, and, you know, Meg is like, a couple of ronits looking for a theme park. You know, things like that would not happen in a normal Disney movie. And so there's a lot of these sort of pop culture references that totally work because, I don't know, they just do such a great job. But I think that even this movie set the stage for Shrek, which does it on a completely other scale. Um, and I know yes. it's another studio, but I think Hercules does it better than Shrek because Shrek seems so dated. 
But to me, I don't see any of these jokes as being necessarily dated jokes from the 90s. They're just more like general pop culture jokes. I don't know. Maybe the air herc. People might not get that one, but (laughs) fan following. You know, you always run that risk when you're throwing in pop culture references. You know, for example, when you, like you were talking about in Shrek, I actually just watched Shrek the musical on Netflix today. (laughs) Really? I did. That's why I thought it was odd that you said, oh, cool. But, you know, I listening to some of those jokes and they're all really great, but it is kind of for a different time and they play on themselves but then they play on other things and you don't get it unless you're there so it is dating it um and that's probably another reason why so many times they don't put those in there but at the same time you love it when they do so i don't know yeah you know i'm very pro hercules so i'm 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 glad that (laughs) i'm glad (laughs) that it exists yeah Uh, a damsel in distress megara and she is trapped by the River Guardian Nessus. She's been sent there on business by Hades, which is interesting because we don't know that initially. We just think, oh, random girl, stuck. <laughs> and I, like I said, I love Megara. She's sassy, different than your classical Disney princess. So do you think she's a good role model? Yeah, I don't see why she wouldn't be. Why, Why wouldn't she be? I don't know. I mean, well, she did do a deal with the devil, basically. Well, yeah, I mean. <laughs> but she learned from it. I mean, she started at a very low point and then went up from there. When I think a lot of the princesses start on a very high point, go down, and then end up high. She's just in this pit of sadness from the very beginning. And it's, it's an s- unfortunate situation. Lesson learned. Don't do deals with the devil. Especially for a guy. Ugh. Nope. So they save her, and we learn that she's actually imprisoned by Hades and going to now be working to uncover this Hercules fellow who Hades just discovers is not dead and is very unhappy about it. Oh, yeah, he's not dead. Definitely not dead. He's <laughs> like, uh oh, yeah, now we found out he's found out again. Didn't we owe him money? <laughs> Oh, Hercules is a very popular name. Remember how all the boys' names were Jason and all the girls were named Brittany? <laughs> that is a referential because that is so true. Yes. <laughs> that happened yes. in the 80s and everybody was named Brittany. <laughs> yeah. That's like our generation right there. It's true. Ugh. And it's true because we, it's just just like in Recess, there was an Ashley A and an Ashley B and a Brittany, <laughs> Brittany A and a Brittany B. Right. So, okay, so woo, we finally make it to Thebes, the big olive itself. I love this place. One of my favorite parts is when they actually, it's like, oh, these people are nuts. And it's like, the end is coming. The end. Oh, yes, we will ponder that for a while. These people are crazy. <laughs> hey, Mac, want to buy a sundial? <laughs> uh, it's like total New York. But it's... And then they have the, the pita cart in the background walking. <laughs> yes, yes. I see. I love all of this. They just had a. They turned New York City and they put it back in time about five thousand years, whatever, maybe two thousand years, and it's fun. This little dialogue back and forth is one of my favorites in the movie, and I think it's because I really like the voice casting in here. And it's like, oh, it was after the earthquakes. Yes, after the earthquakes. <laughs> 
So what's interesting is this actually refers to the tragedy of Oedipus. So after Oedipus married his mother, yes, this happened, So, and he became the king of Thebes, a plague struck the city. So that's another reference is later in the day when they go to the, the play, Hercules takes <laughs> Meg, and he's like, he's like, and then there was that play, that, that, that Oedipus thing? Man, I thought I had problems. So if you have not read the story of Oedipus, it's crazy bizarre but yeah so all these plagues that are happening go to show that oedipus was the king of thebes at one point and and maybe in this version of hercules king at the same time one thing you have to know with this movie is that they take all of the order of the mythos and they mix it around so even though maybe this should have happened at a different time they don't care they put it now technically hercules was on the argo achilles is, and then they make it seem like Achilles is dead, so you, you just got to do it and just accept it. <laughs> and then, of course, you have Meg comes back, and she's like, oh, my goodness, a rock slide, a terrible rock slide. And <laughs> this is kind of where the CGI kind of takes hold of this movie. Yeah. And I, as I watch these things nowadays, I feel like... I- wonder what this movie would have looked like if they had done maybe a paper man effect on these types of movies back in those days. Oh, it would have been much better. I don't oh, know. Amazing. Like, okay, so this is this 1997. This is the same time that Anastasia came out. Anastasia, right. as we talked about in episode 12, rotoscopers.com slash 12, used CGI for inanimate objects. And so it kind of separated the world of the animate versus the inanimate. But here they use CGI for creatures. So we have 2D humans and then the CGI monster. And it, you know, at the time I knew something was different about it. It wasn't that bad where I I noticed or I thought, hmm. I mean, as I got older and more aware of animation, I, I definitely can see the difference. But I, I don't know. This was during the now time. Now that your eye has been trained. <laughs> this was during a time when they were definitely experimenting more and more with computer animation. And it sometimes works and it sometimes doesn't. It's just this poor growing pain zone in the late 90s. <laughs> and then after that, you get pain and panic. Are they immortal? I don't know, because I know there are some mythological creatures that are immortal, that aren't gods, and there are some that are, but I feel like they have just an extended life. Let's just put that. And I don't know when it ends. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll go with that. (laughs) Now that we're thinking of age, Meg, how old do you think she is? I don't know. Do we know how long she's been in Hades' service? No, and it seems like it hasn't been very long. Maybe a year or two. I don't know. Especially with Susan Egan doing her voice. I feel like she's at like mid to late 20s era. Oh, yeah. Like she's definitely an older Disney princess. I would say late 20s for sure. Not 30s, not early 20s at all. She's right. Like, she's like our age. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Like, she seems like our age. Like, I could, I could hang with her. <laughs> you know what you say, I... Chelsea? You only hang out with people your age? That is so first grade. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> no, I mean, she just, she seems like she would fit in our little group of people. Like, oh, I, if there's a real life Meg out there, please come and be our friend. I know, right? <laughs> um, but I, that also begs the question, okay, Hercules is 18. Is he not? Uh, yeah, more or less. That's Robin the Cradle significantly for her. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This is one of the first instances of cougarness in a Disney <laughs> film. 
<laughs> that is very true. <laughs> awesome. This is this is what I went through as I was watching it this time. Anyway, back to so then we go <laughs> to, to the one, gorge. We go to what? Well, yeah, okay. So Hercules saves it, whatever, lifts the rock, and woohoo! And then he chops off the necks, and they keep growing back. And uh, you know this, what's really funny is that there's a crowd watching. <laughs> there's like an amphitheater of, yeah. of seats. Like things like this happen all the time, and there's just like a sparse number of people who who came to initially to see the the children who were trapped and they stay and you know not satisfied at all you, you get a few spattering of applauses and then you get more and more until the full on cheer which is so great erupts in cheer and it's full to the max now and instantly he has become an overnight success from zero to hero from that day forth our hurt could do no wrong he was so hot he made steam look cool I love Zero to Hero. That's another awesome song. And this is where we see a bit a bit more of what Hercules is doing, passing of time. We see that he's been here in Thebes for a while. He's become a national success. There's the Herculade. There's the Air Herc shoes. And in the 12 labors that he, some of them we see him doing. It's just all around good stuff. I really like it. Um, and then we go to his, basically his palace, which has tour buses with screaming fans driving around it. And then my favorite line, you know, he's posing for the painter and he has the thought, the scar throw rug, right? Which is a fun, just nod to that other movie. And then also, you know, Andreas Deja, who animated Hercules, also animated Scar. So he's like, oh, this will be easy. <laughs> just my eyes closed. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, um... A throng of girls breaks in, starts screaming, and my favorite line of all time, I got his sweatband! (laughs) Ah, good stuff. (laughs) Oh, the sea of raging hormones has ebbed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Meg perfectly places herself as the cool girl. She's above the fangirls, which is a bit more appealing to him, considering that's probably all he sees all day signing autographs, which he doesn't sign autographs. He, like, chisels them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. And and so then they sort of go on a date. A date! And then we're just going to move straight on into the song that every girl knows and is on every girl's Disney playlist. I won't say I'm in love. Oh, this one is great. And what's funny is, as I was watching this, I was thinking, I haven't seen the muses in a while. But, I mean, you did. You saw them as Zero to Hero. But you still want the muses. Come back, muses. Because mm-hmm. they're awesome. Yeah. Basically, the only song that the muses aren't in is uh, I Can Go the Distance and One Last Hope. But here, they're they're not the stars. They are a literal chorus behind Meg and they're just in the background and sometimes they're small and my favorite part is the reference to the Haunted Mansion where they appear as marble busts and the way that they are arranged it's the way that they're arranged in Haunted Mansion where one of them is tilted on the side with its hand holding the head um, and that of course is the the muse of comedy always the little chubby one who's so adorable i always love that part and then when you, whenever i see it at haunted mansion i always think hercules it's great yeah <laughs> so she's saying she won't say that she's in love <laughs> yeah she but it, it's great writing too because 
you know, if you're writing a song, you never, that's the like kiss of death is just saying I'm in love or I love you or, you know, just, <laughs> it's just so you don't say that a great songwriter is not going to say that. And what they'll say is, I won't say I'm in love or, you know, they'll allude to it and say it in a way that or like in the movie. Uh, carousel if you probably you probably have never seen it but um there's a song where it says almost like i was in love mm-hmm. and so i they just kind of allude to it they say it without saying it and i'll you know big thumbs up on that one this reminds me of in spam a lot once it ever show comes <laughs> a song like this it sounds off soft and low and ends up with, with a kiss, kiss. <laughs> this is the song that goes like this <laughs> twice in every show <laughs> there comes a song that starts like this it references the song that started out like this <laughs> Oh, gosh. If you have not seen Spamela, I will include a link to that song in the show notes because <laughs> it's a must. It's a must. Oh, yes. It's a must. Okay, so now we're beginning to wrap things up. Do you like Meg at this point? Like, do you want this? I think you don't want the Meg Hercules thing to work out because she's working for the bad guy, but now she's starting to fall for him. Well, you know why she's not bad. I'll give you the one thing that you desire most in the entire cosmos. Your freedom. And she's like, oh, it is. Yeah. And honestly, I wouldn't want to be working for the devil either, and especially <laughs> if the guy that I sold my soul for is, like, coming after me. You know, it's just, ah, uh, yeah. that, that hurts. So you understand her plight, but... Yeah, you want you also understand why it can't work out or why it shouldn't work out, and it's just you're a rock you're between a rock and a hard place. Which happens to her later, actually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I didn't talk about is how much I love Hercules' personality. Because he's shy and not really confident, but he he looks like he should be. Um, right. You know, he, he has the big muscles and the rippling physique, and you think this guy should be super confident, but he's just awkward around girls, and he doesn't know what to say, and has weak, eight weak ankles. No, that's her. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, I just, that's a different type of man to be portrayed. So that's why I love these two main characters, because they're not very typical. And then also you see him like this, like openly talking about how much he loves her and how jovial and excited he is. And it's great. And then it comes crashing down. (laughs) So now he's just there getting mad at Phil because he's, you know, basically being the bearer of bad news, saying that, oh, yeah, Meg is not what she seems. And so now he gets all mad and throws him into the throws him into the barbells, which come on. Phil's got that's messed up (laughs) that's gonna hurt (laughs) and he leaves and it's just so sad because you're like oh you were his buddy for so many years and then all of a sudden it starts you think you know a guy (laughs) yeah so Hades shows up and at this point it starts sort of just these aren't the most memorable moments of the movie to me it's more like the first two-thirds that I really like and the last third Kind of, it's like, oh, okay, let's, uh, it's just not as memorable. I just don't like it as much. So, so right here is where 
you know, it happens the big the big boss fight, basically. The Titans so- are unleashed because the planets align. And so they start making their way to Mount Olympus. And so the difference between the Titans, the Titans were actually the predecessors to the gods. And Zeus wasn't the one who trapped him away. It was Zeus's father. And and the Titans really weren't this like manifestations of the elements. Like in this case, one of them's ice, one of them's rock, and kind of one represents fire. And that's not what they were. And definitely one of them was not a Cyclops. A Cyclops is not a Titan. It's just a mythological creature. That's he, it. Like, he just got locked in there because he fell. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, crap. And that's the funny part is like all the Titans are raging up to Mount Olympus. And then Hades is like, hey, you got something for you. <laughs> so it's his job to keep Hercules busy and sort of wreak havoc on Thebes. And then this is the funny part where the, the Cyclops is like bouncing him on his belly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mighty Hercules. Yeah, and probably for the first time in Hercules' life, he has a black eye, and he's been injured, and he's never had to deal with that before. Maybe. Well, he is mortal, so he probably experiences all the, the things that come with mortality. But for the most part, he's able to take it and give it. Right. You know, through his wits and not so much his brawn, he is able to defeat the Cyclops, but still has to deal with falling objects, from which, as we mentioned before, Meg saves him. So he goes to Mount Olympus and, you know, they're almost trapping his father. No, father! <laughs> Star Wars reference for anyone. Anyways. Um, or Toy Story. <laughs> that's what it is. Toy Story based on... So, Toy Story based on Star Wars reference. <laughs> exactly. That's why it says Star Wars, right? <laughs> you know, saves the day and then... Zeus is like, yeah, way to go, kid. I knew you could do it. And so, but then at this point, Hades is like, you did great, kid, but at least I've got myself a consolation prize and she's dying to see me. And Hercules is like, oh no, I forgot about Meg. <laughs> and he flies back as fast as he can, but he misses it. And she ends up, the whole oh, that thread of life was cut before he got there. Yeah, she was mortal this whole time. <sighs> yeah. So he says, "Fine, I'm going to go down there." This is where one of the the t- the taming of Cerberus kind of it doesn't tame him, but he basically goes down there. He he runs a rampage, on and and hits Hades in the face. I mean, he is livid, livid that this happened. That his girlfriend, who he loved, died. Just you know, and so he goes down there and he's going to save her. And Hades is like, sure, whatever. Good luck. Go down, swim down that pool. You know, good luck if you ever get out. But Hercules does it. And I really like this part because he's swimming. And as he's swimming, he's getting older and aging. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure what the magical properties of the river Styx is. That's basically the boundary between Earth and the underworld where the bodies are now floating down into this basically toilet bowl. (laughs) Wherever it ends up, I don't know place you don't want to go and so he's swimming he's getting older he's aging and you don't know is he going to turn into a skeleton at one point and die but no just in time he saves her and in that moment this is such a heroic act he regains his godhood which is what he was been trying to do this whole time we kind of skipped over that the whole reason he started in this gig in the first place is because he wanted to get back home he may have had his vision clouded for a moment during the middle period where, you know, fame sort of 
caused him to lose track of what his original goal was. Uh, and girls, you know, they do that too. But he did it. And... <laughs> Yes, yes, they do, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> so then there's this big party, and this is the part that gets me kind of the angriest about this movie. And I think I've ranted about this on the podcast before, but now is my official time to talk about it. So he goes up there, and they're at the steps of the gates of Mount Olympus, and it's everything he's been striving for his whole life is to get back home. So he's there, and Meg just happens to be there, too, because when they saved, they a cloud picked him up, and they floated up, which makes no sense at all, but I'll take it. it. Zeus loves clouds, so he sent it down. And so then he's getting ready to go, and he looks, go up, and everyone's congratulating him, and he's super happy, and he looks back, and he sees Meg, and she's just sitting there, and she starts walking away. Where she's going to go, I don't know. Apparently has to walk down the mountain. And then he's like, oh, man... I can't take Meg with me. Life, even an immortal life without Meg, would be nothing. And I'm like, Hercules! She's just going to die in 60 years! <laughs> no. And now what? You can't get back to that point. I mean, considering this was the, you know, Greek times, she's probably going to die in 20 years. She's not going to live that long. And, and then what? Now you're stuck being a, hum a human forever? Well, until you die, basically. Right. I don't know. I, I always was like, ah. I never was so fully invested in the Meg-Hercules relationship where I thought it superseded him gaining his immortality back. And that's super selfish because it's like, oh, don't you believe in true love? Like, true love's more important. But I'm like, then again, they are your family. And you, ah. Basically, he gave up his, his godhood, which is a higher calling. Just for a moment of pleasure on Earth. This is how we think, yes. <laughs> you know, and uh, I'm sure people do not interpret it this way, but to me, I'm like, no, no, I, no, no. Yeah. We, Your eternal glory is at stake, and you give it up for a woman. She ain't worth it. Now, <laughs> if you can both get it together, that is the optimal thing. But considering she didn't, she wasn't half God, never going to work out. It's It's sort of like in the Bible... You shouldn't marry out of the covenant because there's consequences. They don't believe the same things that you do and whatever. They're not, like they're marrying, not going to the same place. It's, yeah, you know, like marrying it's... a Canaanite. It's not going to work if you're a Jew or if you're one of the Israelites. It's just not going to work. Right. And, and I feel like this is the same thing in a very paganistic <laughs> way. <laughs> that I... Oh. You know, I mean, he it's its sort of like he had this higher calling, this greater knowledge, and turned it turned away. To, yeah. And and I'm, that, I'm sure that wasn't the moral that Ron and John were trying to give us. <laughs> <laughs> but, they just wanted to give us that type of a happy ending, I guess. Uh, yeah. So, okay, on a surface level, yeah, it's cute that he chose love over eternity, but... <laughs> Eternity of happiness with family and friends. <laughs> and never dying and not being in the underworld after right. 60 years. But hey, those 20 years are going to be the best ever. <laughs> I almost always cry as the music starts and it like shows everybody, all the family, you know, below everybody that they've you know ever talked to. And then it also has 
Phil, when Zeus puts the picture of Hercules in the stars and he just starts crying. I always get emotional at that part because it's just, you're, you really want it for Phil. Yeah. Oh, Meg, not so much, but Phil, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good times. Okay. So yeah, then it ends and and that's that. He turns mortal and he's happy with his choice. Hurrah. And then then there's a good, there's a zero to hero finale, right? Or a star yeah. is born. It's a star is born that a comes. A star is born. It's a good star song. Star is born. When we shed it from the mountaintops. A star is born. You're gonna pull out the stops. A star is born. Love that song. Oh, mm-hmm. so good. Mm-hmm. We'll shout it from the mountaintops. A star is born. It's a time for pulling out the this movie morgan what do you give this okay oh gosh hercules you know it's not the best movie ever but i really really enjoy watching it every time and i think it's super quotable incredible replay value it's it's has that like we talked about it has a level of maturity to the dialogue that appeals to adults as well as children but mostly to the adults because they'll get the jokes and they'll and you know they understand Greek mythology. They'll like it even more. So I think it's very clever in that way. They they put a great spin on the classic Hercules story um, to make it a bit more Disney friendly. And, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say four and a half stars. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I would say a normal critic would definitely give this maybe three and a half to four stars or so if they're just, you know, just because normal critics tend to be snooty like that. But me being a Disney fan and loving the replay value of this, I give it four and a half stars, too. I would love to give it five stars, even. It's just that good. Ooh. Yeah, there's just something that holds me back from giving it five. It's mm-hmm. not quite Beauty and the Beast. It's not quite no. Mary Poppins, but it's pretty darn up there. So, yeah, four and a half. And I'm sure if Mason were here, you know, he would not agree. But <laughs> so let's go into the voicemail and hear what our fans had to say. A good merchandiser and whoa! Here goes my ulcer! I'm down to one less hope and I hope it's you. No kid, you're not exactly a dream come true. I trained enough turkeys who never came true. You're my one less hope, so you'll have to do. So now we're going to move on to our voicemail section. We have five voicemails and then four or five emails this is probably the episode where we've had the most participation yeah Um, and it goes to show like how beloved this movie is by disney fans that people really want to get out there and share their opinion so the first one is by tyler hi rotoscopers this is tyler um i just wanted to mention that with hercules not only is it one of my favorite disney movies in part because it's actually based on a mythological tale as opposed to just a fairy tale. And I, I mean, the only other one I can think of off the top of my head they did was Atlantis, um, which is also fun in my opinion. 
But one of the things I really love is musically in the film, they took the classic Greek chorus from uh, Greek dramas and they, uh, you know, they revamped it and they used the gospel chorus style to tell it in today's audience in a way that would feel more uh, fresh. And I just thought that was really cool. And the muses are always one of my favorite parts of that film. And um, it's just one of my favorite. Every time I go to Disneyland, I keep thinking, why is Hercules nowhere? Um, I don't know if I'm alone there, but I'd love to see some Hercules love in the park. Um, but at least the movie can still be watched, and it's amazing. Um, but, yeah, that's just what I wanted to bring up about Hercules. Um, super excited that you guys are doing a Hercules episode right now. One of the best movies that I can think of from that era. Um, but yeah, talk to y'all later. Ah, yes. Why isn't there more Hercules love in the parks? I don't understand this. Seriously, it's a shame. I think Hercules is such a classic Disney character. It makes me really sad that unless you're a princess or a really, really popular character that you're not seen. And there's so many classic characters that just seeing them wander around the park would be incredible as a Disney fan for me to see. And the fact that Hercules isn't there is a big bummer. Yeah, I would also really love to buy one of those dolls that has the rippling pectorals. (laughs) Anyway, on to Thomas. Let's hear what he has to say. Yeah, this is Thomas Smith. Uh, I've just got done listening to your uh, Lion King and The Last Unicorn Review. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember me, but I emailed in the past suggesting both these movies at the same time. I'm happy that you guys checked it out and did your reviews. You guys did a good job. Uh, Lion King's always been my favorite. Um, The Last Unicorn... What is a, a side favorite since I've actually met Peter S. Beagle twice now and even had some of, uh, have one of my embroidery arts uh, signed by him. Uh, you guys are wondering about the pirate cat, what happened to him. At the very end of the movie, if you actually look at Molly Gruel's horse as Mendrick is putting her on it, you'll actually see the pirate cat on the back of the horse. But look quickly, it's only like for a second. Well, just thought you guys might want to know this, and again, thank you again. I've been listening to your podcast for since the very beginning, being animation myself. So thank you, and keep doing a good job. Bye now. Oh, wow. I'm so glad that the pirate cat was saved. Yeah, I'm- we. I completely missed that, and in my research for the movie, I guess I didn't do as much research about what happened to pirate cat, but I'm really glad you you said that because... <laughs> Now I know. Yeah, he was good. <laughs> and, oh, man, I love it when we get people who say that they've been listening since the beginning. And it's just like, that's so nice. Thank you so much for being such a loyal listener. Thank you, Thomas. Moving on to Carly. Hi, Scopers. Um, My thoughts about the movie Hercules. I think it's a good movie. I mean, it's Disney, so, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter what Disney does because Disney's like, yeah, we're pretty cool. But I like Hercules, I liked its art design. It matched the whole Greek concept very well. Um, I like the animation. It's like late, or yeah, it was late 1990s, so it's pretty good. Um, I haven't really studied animation that much, but I'm going to become an animation major at Edinburgh University, and my soon-to-be traditional animation 
uh, professor. He actually worked on a bunch of Disney movies, including Hercules, so I thought that would be pretty good. I mean, the animation program at Edinburgh is number one in the state of Pennsylvania, which is where I live, so it's pretty good. But um, I just loved everything about Hercules, the voice cast, the um, art design, everything was pretty good. Story was pretty decent, too. Um, but yeah, I really love your podcast. Um, I really love, <laughs> I really love um, Mason whenever he tries to go with his inner Matthew Broderick. Uh, but yeah, I just like Hercules, and I think you guys have a great podcast. So bye, and I can't wait to hear more of you guys. That's awesome to hear, Carly. That's really exciting to see you got some great hookups at your school in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Hey, Rotoscopers. Um, the thing I remember about Hercules is definitely Hades. Um, I always liked that James Wood's vocal performance was, um, you know, almost like a car salesman kind of a way of talking. I like when villains had that comedic tone to it, you know, when he's going, name is Hades, Lord is it? Hi, how are you doing? You know, I love that kind of stuff. So while the film's not exactly one of my favorite, favorite Disney movies, it has some standout moments. And that's one of them. Awesome. Thank you. This person didn't leave um, their name, so I don't know who to to thank for sending this awesome email. But yes, completely agree. Hades rocks it. Yeah, comedic villains are always great. Thanks so much for calling in. Hi, Rotoscopers. It's Michael in the Midwest again. I sounded off a bit on Spirit, and I thought... I would do the same with Hercules. Um, the funny thing I th- when I think about Hercules is how after The Lion King came out in 1994, it would be three years before I'd see another film in theaters again. I didn't go to see Pocahontas or Hunchback in theaters, even though I was a huge Disney fanatic. But Hercules somehow got me back in theaters. And I think that was because of the animation talent they had attached to it. You know, you had Andreas Deja, you had Eric Goldberg, and Nick Ranieri, who... Personally, I think did a great job on Hades. I love his character. I mean, the way he schmoozes, and he pretty much has that Warner Brothers style pose to pose dynamic that was is prevalent in a lot of Nick's artwork, as well as um, Eric Goldberg does a great job of giving Phil kind of the squash and stretch you, that you saw with the genie in Aladdin. Um, the story overall feels like it doesn't really hold together as much and just kind of collapses in with the weight of all the pop culture gags. Though, I will say I do love the music by uh, by uh, Ellen Menken and David Zippel. I think Zippel did a great job with the lyrics and, I, of course, I love uh, Susan Egan singing I Won't Say I'm In Love. Though, I will say one thing. I really wish that, unlike us getting the Michael Bolton remix of Go The Distance, I wish we would have gotten the overseas remix of Belinda Carlisle singing I Won't Say I'm In Love. Um, and, yes, that, that does exist. So uh, I'll just sign off and say adios. Oh, wow, this guy really knows his stuff. <laughs> this makes, thank you, Michael. Like, this actually yeah. made me really miss Mason's presence on this episode because, Michael, you spoke a lot about different, um, you know, more of the finer points of animation and the different animators and what really stood out uh, between the different styles, like the pose to pose for Hades. And that is something that Mason absolutely would have picked up on and would have spoke to while Chelsea and I maybe were a bit more surface level and then got a bit like spiritual doctrine in there. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting. I feel like, I feel like Michael would have had the same interpretation of the, the maybe the plot as, not interpretation of the plot, but would have had the same feelings about the plot as Mason because it was so pop culture laden that it, it doesn't hold up. 
So that's good to hear that point of view because that's something that you and I definitely didn't account for. Exactly. Thank you so much for calling in, Michael. Please do it again. <laughs> All right, now we're moving on to our mailbag. Our next one is from Taj. Taj says, hey, guys, I just wanted to say I'm super excited for the Hercules. I am a big fan of that movie, and I hope Mason has a change of heart. I forget how much I enjoy Phil's ditty, and the gospel choir is fantastic. Hercules is perhaps a bit bland as a character, but I don't feel it matters much as everyone else has so much personality. I could rewatch this movie any day and can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. Thank you so much, Taj. Like we've said all the way through this, we love this movie. Hello, fellow animation enthusiasts. I was listening to your podcast, episode Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron, and noticed that you were planning to do Hercules. I have one thing to say. Finally! I love this movie and hoped you would review this Disney masterpiece. Personally, Hercules is my favorite 90s animated film and my second favorite animated movie overall. The first is Lilo and Stitch. I place it above movies like The Lion King and Beauty and the Beast, as I don't have any major problems with it and have never been bored while watching it. Here's why I love it. Animation. Gorgeous. Love this type of stylization. Only problem I have with this film is the CGI, particularly the Hydra. Colors are warm and inviting. Four stars. Music. Favorite soundtrack of any movie and second favorite score ever. My personal favorite score is Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas. Interesting. Favorite song is either version of The Gospel Truth. Five stars. Plot. Good, but not great. Flows well and makes sense, but at times is a bit convoluted. Three stars. Script. Funny, sweet, and emotional. While some lines are not great, it has some brilliant ones, too. My favorite line is always, read my lips. Forget it. Three and a half stars. So using math to figure out the amount of stars it is owed, it rounds out to four stars. Have a great day, Keenan. I like hearing from Keenan. Please keep coming back. <laughs> Our next one is from Brayden. And he says, hi, Rotoscopers, Brayden here. Longtime listener, first time writer. I hear that you guys are doing the Hercules episodes and I can't wait. Hercules is one of my favorite Disney movies next to Milan, Aladdin, The Little Mermaid, and of course, who couldn't forget Frozen? Me and my sister quote this movie all the time, especially love the line, indoor plumbing, it's gonna be big. <laughs> many people criticize studios like DreamWorks for using too many pop culture references, but I love the way it's done in Hercules. The film is so 90s. I love it. I remember watching the Hercules TV show on the Disney Channel here in Canada. It is called Family Channel and loved it, especially the crossover episode with Aladdin. Oh, I never saw that one. I hate to see that this movie has been forgotten, especially since its music and characters are so memorable, especially Hades. I can't describe how much I love this movie, even if it does have its flaws. To add on to your nerdy couch discussion about Disney horses, would you guys consider Carpet or Sven Disney horses, despite them being different species? Some people do consider them to be because they take on the horse-like roles in their films, and if Carpet is considered a Disney horse, he is my favorite. Thanks for putting so much work and passion into the rotoscopers. All of us animation fans really appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Brayden. All right, I'm going to read the next one okay. from Frank. says, so I remember enjoying Hercules quite a bit when I was little. I remember even getting my parents to buy one of those special edition plates from McDonald's. Awesome. 
It's a movie that I quite some nostalgia from me. Okay, pause. Can we just laugh about special edition McDonald's plates? <laughs> yes, please. Awesome. <laughs> or like the, they the have cups. The, the cups. Yeah, the I have the I have the glass cups. <laughs> okay. There's actually a glass cup here in my house, and it's not mine. But I was like so happy when I saw it. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to go back and read the email. However, as I got older, my views have changed on the movie. From repeating viewings, I don't think the movie is all that great. For me, it's just a mediocre Disney movie trying to capture the success of Aladdin. It tries to go into some of that tone and style of that movie, but it doesn't work. The difference is Aladdin, despite the pop culture references and celebrity voices, there was still a good story and characters you care about. When I watch Hercules, I don't care about the story or characters. I find Hercules to be a pretty dull protagonist. Zeus and all the other god characters are forgettable. Phil is a decent character. Meg had potential with her tragic backstory, but her relationship with Hercules isn't well developed and their romance does not feel earned. The only character I liked was Hades, mainly because he's entertaining and has some of the best lines. The story is basically a watered-down version of Superman in my eyes. I know the true story is too dark, but I think a better story was possible. I mean, Disney was able to make a great Hunchback of Notre Dame movie. And also, the pop culture references are dated and not that funny. Aladdin had pop culture references, but only one character was doing it, and it made sense in context. The pop culture jokes just don't work in Hercules in my eyes. Another thing that disappointed me is sadly the music. I love Alan Menken's work, but I think Hercules is one of the weaker entries. I'm not into gospel music, so I don't think that music mixed with the mythology stuff is kind of weird. I think Go to the Distance is a pretty good song, along with I Won't Say I'm in Love. I didn't really care for the other songs, however, to be perfectly honest. I apologize in advance for perhaps an unpopular opinion, lol. Hercules is just one of those rare nostalgic movies that does not hold up well for me. Thought it'd be interesting to have a negative post on this movie, Frank. You know, and it's really insightful that Frank knew his view maybe would be less popular. Um, right. I don't know. I don't. I know. I know. Me and you, we are very positive on this movie, but I would like to see what the fans say overall what they would rate this movie because it seems to be pretty polarizing people either just are like nah like frank it's it's not that good and, and they really expose the flaws and then other people just see past them and say it's great <laughs> Hello, Rotoscopers. The horse theme for your podcast is a great idea. I was delighted to listen to the last Unicorn podcast when you listed the many animated films where people transform into animals and vice versa. I have a little story I'd like to share. I was talking to a woman who is a dietitian, caterer, and recommended the film Ratatouille to her, as well as several other animated films that I hope adults would like as much as kids, such as Kung Fu Panda and Finding Nemo. Then she asked me why so many animation studios use animal characters, and it got me thinking. When would you use animals instead of people in animation? Here's my opinion. One, for specific comic relief. It's not always funny when people hurt each other and can sometimes come across as too violent or brutal on screen. But with animals, colliding into each other or getting squished and stretched allows for more room for entertainment without offending the viewers. Some of these examples that stick out in my mind are the classic Warner Brother cartoons, Daffy and Doug's Bunny, Wallace and Gromit, and of course the anthropomorphic animals in Disney's Robin Hood. Two, for risk-taking drama. The films An American Tale and Finding Nemo would be too tragic and traumatic, especially the little kids, if they were about real human children separated from their parents. But making the protagonists into cute little animals removes the story a bit from reality while still allowing the audience to connect to the characters. The same goes for Oliver and Company and The Great Mouse Detective. I realize that there's difference in films such as Kung Fu Panda, where animals exist in a separate fictional world, and Oliver and Company, where animals and people coexist, but they don't communicate with each other. 
but that's my two cents. I'm interested to know what the rotoscopers think about this. Have a great day and anticipate seeing what else is in store for the rotoscopers this year. Bye, Esther. P.S. Since you're doing Hercules soon, I'll be... P.S. Since you're doing Hercules and diving into Greek mythology, I am inclined to promote George O'Connor's Olympian series, graphic novels about the gods and goddesses. Here's the link. I will include that link in the show notes. I really like how she threw those in there. I'm, I'm thinking I agree with for both of those points, um, the comic relief and for, you know, kind of to smooth out something that would be a little bit more risky in drama. Mm hmm. No, yeah. I mean, I think those are great points that she really thought through why mm -hmm. use an animal versus a human. And I, I do think it's she makes a very great distinction about risk taking drama. I think, yeah, those examples of, of losing parents or very traumatic experiences. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you, you can't have people. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, specifically, she pulled in Finding Nemo, and I'm like, yeah, that one, that one's harsh. Much. <laughs> and American Tale, those are both really, <laughs> All right, well, thank you, Esther. I love these inputs. Thanks. All right, so Ben comes in. He's one of our great regulars. He comes in, and he says... Oh, Hercules, where do I begin? This is a really good movie, but I wouldn't say great. Animation and style is really cool and different for Disney and is really visually inventive. The songs are great. Go the Distance, Zero to Hero, I Won't Simon Love, so many. The voice acting is really good, and Tate Donovan, Susan Egan, and obviously James Woods. But then why isn't the movie great, in my opinion, do you ask? I just think the story is kind of cliché. A little too been there, done that. Pretty much your standard hero's journey story, which can really work well when done well. But this was done okay. To me, Hercules is a pretty boring character. Harsh, I know. But his arc is just pretty predictable and boring to me. Hades is a very, very fun character. As is Phil, Pegasus, the Muses, among others. But the best character and best part of the movie, in my opinion, is Megara. She's such a complicated character with a sad backstory. She goes through the more interesting character arc, especially what she's done for Herc at the end. I think her character is so underrated and deserves more recognition. But other than that, I'd give Hercules four out of five. Everything is pretty good, except for being pretty boring main character. The kind of predictable story. Those are my thoughts. So play me out, Michael Bolton. <laughs> oh, thanks, Mike. another great episode thanks chelsea for joining me and being my guest on this hercules hero's journey i'm your guest 
Okay, you're not my guest. You're my normal host. <laughs> I'm like, I have been here the whole time, Morgan. This whole time, all these different episodes, it, you've always been a guest to me, Chelsea. You're never a, a full host yet. you got to prove I yourself. I see how it is. I see how it is. <laughs> so if you want to talk about this episode, um, make sure to use the hashtag AnimAddicts on Twitter. So that's A-N-I-M addicts. Basically, this is the hashtag we want you guys to use whenever you are tweeting about the show, uh, different things that we talk about. And okay, so now we're going to be doing a new fun thing at the end of each episode. People who make it to the very end of the episode, I want you to use a very special hashtag in addition. So Chelsea, what should that hashtag be? Please no Spice Girls. (laughs) Okay, so we want you to use the hashtag Please, no Spice Girls. That way we know if you made it to the end, and that way the cool kids who make it to the end of the episodes can tweet about it. So use hashtag Please, no Spice Girls. And, of course, anytime you're listening to the show and you want to reference the show, hashtag AnimAddicts. And, of course, you can follow us on rotoscopers.com. That's where you can find the links to our Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, basically anywhere and everywhere on the interweb. That's also where you can find our news articles and reviews that we do. Also, we have a YouTube channel, which is at rotoscopers.com slash YouTube. And, of course, we you can find us, the podcast, specifically on Hypable and Animated Views. And we would love it if you could subscribe to us on iTunes. That's a great way to show your support for the show. And also, if you can leave us a review um, and some feedback on the iTunes page, that would mean the world to us. With the way that Apple's algorithm works, um, we actually get ranked higher if more and more people leave us reviews, and especially a lot of people in a small amount of time. So if you haven't left a review, we would love if you could leave us a review. We appreciate it more than you know. And of course, if you want to contact us to give us your thoughts on the movies that we've been talking about or just have a question about animation that you'd like us to discuss on the show, be sure to send us an email at therotoscopers at gmail.com and send us a voicemail at rotoscopers.com slash voicemail or call us at 406-646-6575. Make sure to check us all out at our individual locations. Morgan, you can find her on Twitter at Morgan Stradling. I'm also on Twitter at Chelsea Robson, R-O-B-S-O-N. Uh, we also have Mason on Twitter at Mason S-M-T-X, like San Marcos, Texas, uh, on Twitter as well. You guys are awesome. We thank you guys so much, especially for those who have been listening for a long time, several months, or even the full two years. You guys are fantastic. And even those people who just found us on this episode. Wow. Welcome to the club. Also, I would just like to say one last thing. Cue music, maestro. In just two years, precisely, the Rotoscopers put together a podcast ever so nicely. Oi, verse. The time to act is now at hand. You've seen the sight. Now join the brand. Now it's time for artists to hear the call. Design us a t-shirt to be worn by all. A true contest is this tale. The winning t-shirt will go on sale. We're having a t-shirt competition, people. Woo-hoo! So basically what this is, is we're going to have a link in the show notes that will send you to the contest page. And so we are having a call to all artists. We are going to start doing t-shirts on the site for people who want them. And we thought it would be a great idea to have the fans have their ideas for our very first t-shirt. 
And so obviously the winner will get selected and we'll use their design for our t-shirts and you'll get a free t-shirt obviously at the same time. Um, we just think you guys have way better ideas than us. <laughs> this is why we call us the rotoscopers because we don't actually do anything. <laughs> uh, never has there been such a truer analogy as now. <laughs> So definitely go to rotoscopers.com slash t-shirt contest and we'll have all the information there. So until next time, we are the Rotoscopers. Woohoo! $252 million. Not too shabby. <laughs> Sorry, he was biting my hand, so I had to tell him to stop. And, of course, he whines and made a weird noise that you probably just heard. <laughs> I did. And we had to capture the... Holy, how do you say these words? Aramanthian. Aramanthian. Somebody call IXII! <laughs> <laughs> I laugh every time. It doesn't matter. Jimmy! Ugh. He's annoying. <sighs> Jimmy, what are you eating? Oh. Palm tree. That's what he's eating. Palm tree from outside. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, you skipped over my favorite quote of the entire movie. I'm sorry. I didn't know. The matter with these scissors. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's another thing. Like, why didn't Hades then give all the gods this magical mortal potion? At, you know, spike the drink at the next party. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Hi. Sorry, Jimmy was, <laughs> Jimmy was giving me a kiss. He's sitting by me and being good. Okay. Good. We are the muses, goddesses of the arts, and proclaimers of heroes. Heroes like Hercules. Honey, you mean Hercules. Ooh, I'd like to make some sweet music with... Our story actually begins long before Hercules, many eons ago. Wow! <laughs> Back when, when the, the world, world was, was new. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the planet Earth was down on That's its luck. True. And everywhere See, gigantic brutes called titans ran amok. It was a nasty place. <laughs> I love, yeah, the, the guitar right there was great. <laughs> there was a mess wherever you stepped. And everywhere gigantic <laughs> brutes Brute called pack. titans ran <laughs> amiss, amok. <laughs> And then along came Zeus, he threw his thunderbolt. 